This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. What is up, everyone? Happy Friday. Welcome to the OBR Film Breakdown, as we will be covering a bevy of topics on this Browns 2020 draft, and we're going to really focus in on the film room studies that myself and then our guest later on, John Stephenson, are going to uh, rehash a little bit of what we have learned about them. I will remind you guys that there are a couple of pieces to supplement um All of these players so far that we have covered. So you will find in the bio of this podcast a link to each one of the film studies that we have done. And then you will also find um, a link to the YouTube channel that you can go to, the OBR Film Breakdown YouTube channel, which has around a five to seven minute clip on each player that we have covered so far. Harrison Bryant is our most recent study and he will be up there. Um, He will be up there tomorrow. You can find him on the YouTube channel. Nice to watch some video to supplement some commentary about these players. Before we dive into these players, starting with Jedrick Wills, we are going to talk about BetOnline.ag, a company that just trusted Blue Wire and has sponsored us for a while now. Still a giant believer in them, and I really hope you guys have set aside some time to sign up. Because what they do with their welcome bonus is unique. They don't withhold that money from you. They give you an opportunity to use that and live gamble with that money before they release it. And the, the promo that they have going, although there's not a ton of gambling opportunities, you've heard me talk about it on this podcast and the Newswire podcast, they still have the Madden 20 simulations running up their daily, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, um, all of it. You can you can find it all 24 hours long uh, a day. Uh, it's all online. The Poker Blackjack is still available as well to you if that's something that you like doing. I trust them. I believe in them. I hope you do too. That's um, betonline.ag using that promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, and uh, and get signed up today. BetOnline is your online wagering solution, and I hope you use them. So we won't waste any more time, though, guys. We will dive into the analysis of these players. So the first film room we posted, uh, I posted on Jedrick Wills. It was the night... After the first round on Thursday, kind of broke down 
Uh, it was a bit of a surprise, I will be honest. I did not spend a ton of time on Jedrick Wills pre-draft. I did not study him extensively. I thought, A, twofold. A, I thought he would be gone. And B, I did not see him sort of fitting what they were going to threshold the player that they would want uh, and mitigate risk. Now, having re-watched everything and, and taken in a lot of Jedrick's film, I understand where they're coming from. And... For multiple reasons. The first is the switch from right tackle to left tackle. Um, I think I, I might overestimate that. I'm not sure. I also thought Andrew Thomas was the top of their board, who was a natural left tackle, been doing it for a while in his career at Georgia, had switched over after his freshman year. Kind of thought that that was where the end game was here, but he was taken earlier than expected. I think a lot of people expected. I think New York started to gather some late buzz. But the switch from right tackle to left tackle. Now, I will suggest another podcast, which is the Nothing But The Dogs podcast, who did fantastic work with uh, Duke Manyweather about uh, Jedrick's switch from right tackle to left tackle. And, and, and Jedrick himself has said that it is something that he will have to get better at as he goes in practical application. It won't be easy. It will be challenging. But it is ultimately doable. And Duke echoed that sentiment uh, about Jedrick's uh, ability to get it done and what that process will look like for him and getting as many reps as he can and and Duke knowing players that have spent time in their homes working on the set, you know, because it's a completely different set. You're kicking with the left foot instead of the right foot. Your right hand is now your inside strong hand, among many other things. And, uh, you know, it's it's going to be fascinating to track that process for um, Jedrick Wills and sort of how he's able to handle all of that. He seems like the athlete to be able to do it. If you watch Alabama tape like I did, they run a ton of RPO, but their run game can be diverse. They can run some screens. They did some wide zone stuff. They did some mid zone stuff. They did some of the schemes that I think will be here in Cleveland. They did gap down schemes. They did ISO schemes, counter scheme, power scheme. They did all of that. And Jedrick's a finisher, man. He's he's an absolute finisher at the point of attack. He, he is a guy who is very slick about how he goes from the first level to the second level in the run game, taking care of the, the down three technique or head up or even four eye before he progresses to the next lever. Or sorry, next level. A lot of that... Um, First three steps, helping with the double team, and then boom, peeling off with his eyes up for the second level, which is sort of an innate thing that you can't always coach guys having that awareness for you know for, for, for stunts and twists and exchanges. He does a really nice job with that, picking up scraping linebackers. He can get out in space and run well. I think he does a nice job in their screen game, does a nice job moving along in their wide zone stuff, cutting off the backside, uh, does a really nice job getting his head where it needs to be and his body in a position to cut off the backside. I think he has to avoid playing, and this is all, I'm kind of going through the article, things that I've noted here, playing with too much lean. I think he is so uh, used to dominating people, and he still dominates people at the at the major college football level, that at times if, if guys can get inside his pad level at the chest torso area, he can be thrown off if he leans a little bit too much. That's something that he will have to work on. Pass blocking traits are clean, very, very aggressive. It's not a retreating Past step for him, his first step on the right side. Now, does this transfer to the left side? Ultimately, it, it remains to be seen, but he is a guy who is aggressive in his approach. He's not a kickstep retreat, let a guy barrel into him. He wants to take the action to the opposing edge player. So you will see a almost lateral step. He's quick, very aggressive off the ball, almost jumping. It take, it's such an aggressive step that he almost jumps to where he's going if you slow it down and frame by frame it. Um, but he... He's aggressive. He's got great hands, strong punch. He is able to anchor against bull rushes. He was never, and I repeat, I watched a ton of film. I did not see him get beat high side. His issue in pass game, again, very good in pass protection, one of the best in the country. 
His issue is get, getting beat inside, whether that's inside spin moves, whether that's sort of the outside jab step into a duck inside move, the Euro step. Teams started to notice that was an issue for him, and teams like Michigan in the bowl game just attacked his inside relentlessly because they know we're not beating this guy upfield. We are only going to be able to beat him with a weakness that is his inside occasionally. He'll shut it down sometimes, most of the time, but occasionally if you get a really well-timed move on him, he will be beat inside. And I think that pops up on film and something that you would notice if you watch some of these clips, both on the YouTube channel and the OBR as we try to, um, you know, in this article, as we try to teach you a little bit about him. But my point about Jedrick is, is he's good. He's very strong, he's very sturdy, but he's an athlete, he can get out and play, and he's got the right finishing sort of mindset that you would hope your offensive tackles come to your franchise with. It's important that your guys have that mindset that they don't want to be beat, that they want to be aggressive at the point of attack, and they want to take things to opposing players. He does that, and I think he will bring a really good mentality. Now, how he well he ultimately translates from the right side to left side, a lot remains to be seen. Will weaknesses carry over? Will strengths become weaknesses? Will weaknesses become strengths? We don't know. we got to see him in action. The good thing to know with Jedrick Wills is that you're going to get the opportunity to face three really good edge players in practice all the time. You're going to know right away, Miles Garrett's a strong uh, player off the right edge, you know, coming off the, 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 the left tackle. You're going to face him a lot. You're going to face Olivier Vernon a lot. You're going to face Adrian Claiborne, who's a right-side specialist, a lot. So those are good opportunities to get better, and I really look forward to seeing how he does. I don't know what the Browns board looked like on draft night. Nobody does. The Giants are going to spin it that everybody wanted Andrew Thomas. The Browns are going to spin it that we got our guy and we can't believe he was available at 10. And while that ultimately may be true, we don't know. Maybe they would have taken Andrew Thomas if he was available. All I know is that the Browns really like Jedrick Wills. They got that pick in quickly, and we should be excited about his ability could be a process moving from right to left side. There's no doubt about that. This isn't a situation like Andrew Thomas, who started on the right side, moved to the left side in his career at Georgia. It is Jedrick has been a right side, right tackle, and I think he even said that he did this back in high school. So it is a total, complete transformation for him. But I'm confident enough in the player, confident enough in the ability to get that done and get it done successfully. So that's Jedrick Wills. Again, complimentary pieces at the OBR with the film room study and then a quick little OBR YouTube channel hit on him as well. I encourage you to look at those if you um, have the time, if you're an OBR subscriber, and then uh, again, encourage you to join us at the OBR if you, uh, if you have the ability at this time financially to do so. Okay, next up is going to be Grant Delpit, who we broke down earlier this uh, earlier this week, got this one out, I think Monday into Tuesday. It's a blur. It's up there, been up there for a while. Complimentary video has also been posted. The Browns did a great job with Delpit in terms of uh, sitting at pick 41, having the safety section slide to them. A couple went off the board. Kyle Duggar was a surprise. Xavier McKinney being the first off the board, in my opinion, was not a surprise at all. Browns come up at 41, do a great job of striking balance between aggressiveness and being able to be savvy, trade down three picks, don't lose the player that they want, and ultimately get back a pick 150 that yields a pretty good offensive lineman that we will discuss at a later date. But Grant Delpit, right, a great defensive back at the college level in 2018, uh, if he had come out after 2018, would have easily been a first-round pick. The young man heads back to school 2019 as he has to to be eligible out of his draft class um, and runs into what happens to elite players sometimes, which is they 
are, are really knowing that they have dominated the level at which they are playing. Uh, they play a little bit afraid of any sort of long-term injury or anything that's going to stop their transition to the NFL. And some of those things happen sometimes in terms of you not wanting to get hurt. You end up getting hurt. He battled an ankle injury, among many other things, had to actually miss a game, dealt with that high ankle injury for the year, um, but was still a really good player on film and a really good safety. We covered you know, his background as, a, as an All-American coming out of high school. He went, um, you know, the grew up in Louisiana, ended up going to IMG Academy uh, down in Florida, which is where he spent his last year, and then, uh, you know, decided to come back to LSU and his his roots there. And, you know, what what's great with Delpit is sort of what he represents as a, as, a, as a leader. And the Browns brass talked about the leadership attitude bravado stuff that you really need from a guy who you hope someday is the leader of your secondary. Now there's a level of you got to go out and prove it stuff here. And Delpit knows that, but there is a level of, um, you know, wanting guys who are who are those, and I call them. This is a common phrase: a thermostat leader. They, they are the ones who raise the room, the temperature in the room. They're not a they're not you know a guy who just responds to others around them. They raise the temperature in the room, which is which is ultimately what you want those guys to be. They bring people to their level, and that's what the Browns see in Delpit, and they hope translates. But as far as a guy on the field. Um, Delpit's able to do multiple things. He can play deep half post safety, cover four, cover two. He can play cover three, cover one, solo high safety. He can be a center fielder. He's done that well. Has great range back there, good read and react skills. Um, He can also play the slot. He can be a big nickel when you need him to be a big nickel. Has enough ability in the passing game to hang with not only tight ends due to his length being 6'2", 6'3", but also the ability to hang with shiftier wide receivers for the most part. It's not a place that you would want him living down to down, but it is something that he can do effectively in situational football. And he has not he has done a nice job in college of playing the run, uh, you know, force responsibilities off that edge. In, in LSU, if you watch enough of their film, they love to rush him off the edge too, not only for run game, but for pass game to affect quarterback play. He had several sacks coming off the edge. I know he's throttled down perfectly, but he played with ferocious effort coming off that edge, would fall down, miss the quarterback, maybe go past him. Unfortunately, quarterback would step up, slide. He'd get up and make the play. He would get back to his feet quickly and make the play. So you like that about him. He can cover. He is a guy that is focused on ball skills, You know, an abundance of interception through, interceptions throughout his college career, and a plenty of tackles that his market share is a solid number. Now, we didn't get any testing with Delpit due to the recovering from the ankle injury and the long season he had at LSU, but you can see the film translate. You can see that he's easily a high 4-4, 4-5 guy that can run in space and will be fine handling the multiple different positions that a safety will have to play that involve needing speed. The question about Delpit is going to be his tackling. I addressed it on the YouTube channel. I obviously in-depth addressed it here in the article. I hope you take the time to read it. Um, The tackling issue for Delpit is simply... Um, and, I, and this is something I'll reference all the time, that not all tackles that are missed are created equal. Some special athletes have the ability to get to spots, to get to places um, that others don't. And when they get there, sometimes they're there so hastily that they, they are actually able to blow up the, and disorganize a play, but they might miss the tackle, but they turn a player back inside or they turn a player to another player who can make the tackle. And a lot of times that's what you see with Delpit. He's a shoot-through-the-legs guy. 
He got to a lot of crazy angle places in LSU that maybe if he didn't, if he just had sat at his position and waited, another person sends them back to him for an easier tackle. So look, he has 36 missed tackles over two years. He knows he has to improve it. He has to become more active with his arms, wrapping up lower body parts of other players. He will never be a fundamentally perfect player, but he is a guy who will play He is not afraid to tackle. He will play downhill. He will go after you, but he has to get every part of his body involved in tackling. He cannot rely on just shooting through the legs of opposing players. He has got to wrap up lower limbs and hold on and just get guys down at safety. I just want those players to get guys on the ground, and ultimately that is something I think he can do. If he wants to be an average safety, the tackling will be poor. He will not be able to handle it. If he wants to be a good to great safety at the NFL level, the tackling will have to be there for the young man. I think he will always be okay in coverage. He'll be fine, if not excellent, in the right schemes in the NFL, and especially this cover three, uh, a lot of the cover three that we think we're going to get from Joe Woods. I think he can do many things. Playing the curl flat, playing the deep single high free safety, he can do those roles. The tackling has to come along because they will expect that out of him, and defenses um, are always going to be attacked at a weakness. You know, Opposing offense coordinators are looking at matchups almost more than anything else. How can we exploit a player through a matchup? And they will attack Grant Delpit's tackling if they cannot get it fixed at the NFL level between Grant and the defensive staff. If he does, again, think he ultimately turns into a Pro Bowl player and an anchor of this defense for a long time. If not, it comes a little dicey and, and you know, this is short life. They say not for long about the NFL for a reason. It could come back to bite him. So, again, study of Grant Delpit is up online and on YouTube. You can check it out. Learn a little bit about the player. The YouTube video is about six, seven minutes, many clips. You can see of him and then All of the clips are in the uh, article here that is a ton of stuff from about 10 games of LSU I broke down between 2018 and 2019. So get on there and check out Grant Delpit. Last of my solo pieces here that have gone up, and we're going to skip ahead a little bit in the draft. We will get back to Jordan Elliott and Jacob Phillips here momentarily when we bring on our guests. But while I'm solo here, I want to talk about the other player that we Uh, covered here at the OBR that I specifically wrote on, and we'll have a YouTube video up on him tomorrow, which is Harrison Bryant, the um, pick 115 tight end out of Florida Atlantic. Uh, Plenty of things to like about that young man, and this article goes in-depth. It's a a pretty long article. It's about 2,500 words about who he is as a player. The young man came out of high school uh, through his junior year was an offensive tackle. Coaches noticed the athletic ability that he had and the size and sort of looked at projecting him for the next level and offered him the chance to play tight end. And um, upon that offer to play tight end, he had 39 catches, 608 yards, and 10 touchdowns. His final year of high school caught the attention of some teams. Um, Ultimately, he was going to take an offer to play defense at Samford. But uh, Travis Trickett, who is the the Florida Atlantic offensive coordinator at the time, I'm sorry, was a Sanford offensive coordinator, went to Florida Atlantic and took the same role and decided, hey, we need to bring this Bryant kid with us. We think he has a lot of potential at tight end. So they were the only Division I school to offer Harrison Bryant with a really funny picture of how small Bryant was coming out of high school and the offer um, you know, extended to him was a leap of faith that ultimately paid off for, for both sides. You know, Over his last two years, a guy who graded out at uh, Florida Atlantic with a 90 grade overall above in the reception category as a tight end. He caught 142 of his 197 targets in his final two seasons. Um, over the course of his career, 2,076 yards, 16 touchdowns. Um, you know, and there's some good quotes in here about his, his 
ridiculously strong senior season that had 65 catches, which led all of college football's tight ends, 1,004 yards and seven touchdowns, and ultimately won him the Mackey Award as the nation's top tight end, which is the first. This is a big accomplishment for Harrison, which he's the first non-Power 5 school tight end to do it. All other tight ends to win that award were those going to bigger schools and bigger conferences with more notoriety. So he was ultimately recognized, and um, he launched himself and just became better and better between 2018 and 2019 with his route diversity and route tree and different things he was able to do in the system uh, there at Florida Atlantic with Lane Kiffin and became an NFL prospect. He's a 6'5", 245 guy. The, the question is about arm length. He's only got 30 and 5'8 inch arms, so not a wide, wide catch radius, but I do think he maximizes what his frame will allow him to do um, you know, from that perspective. A 4'7", 340, not great, but very comparable when you look at the broad of 110 and the 7413 cone. Very, very comparable to Austin Hooper coming out of, uh, out of Stanford. And obviously Austin has is, is succeeded in the NFL, gotten to a nice lucrative second contract. And I think you're looking at a guy in Harrison Bryant who can be very similar. Austin Hooper was taken in the third round, kind of the same time frame from that early, sorry, late third to early fourth. And I think the Browns saw a really good, young, moldable player who can be similar to uh, to the style that Hooper is and complement Najoku well with three tight ends that they think can really play. The young man dominated the Senior Bowl, according to a lot of people there, especially caught the eye of Alex Van Pelt when he was still affiliated with Cincinnati before he came over to Cleveland. And, um, you know, caught his eye there. And then it got to the point at 115 where you know, Glenn Cook, who's the, the assistant director of scouting for the Browns, said that we just couldn't ignore him sitting on the board at 115. It's... It was a player that we have a lot of faith in and thought that we ultimately had to take because they knew how valuable that position is to Kevin Stefanski and how many times they play, which is leading the league in three tight end sets among other tight end sets, that they just love to use them for the advantages of keeping teams in base defense. And the great part about what Bryant can do is he can play three different positions pretty effectively. He can play the slot detached away from the line of scrimmage. He can play the wing, that sort of H-back tight end position. And he can play a true inline Y tight end position. He is not going to be known for being a fantastic blocker, but he does do well enough, in my opinion. And the senior bull showed that. He's a guy who has a tackle background, having been coached up playing offensive line in his young years in football all the way up to his senior year. You can see it. He understands how to pass block, how to mirror shuttle, keep his hands locked where they need to be locked in someone's thigh, or sorry, in their chest plate, you know, sort of steer them, not get too top. He's very fundamentally sound. He's not, like I said, the, the, the frame, the, the, the strength is not going to overwhelm people, and it will ultimately probably be a, an issue for him at the NFL level because the defensive ends – um, you know, in Conference USA or whatever are not the types of defensive ends you see in the NFL. But I think Bryant can be respectable in this regard and be when they ask him to, to maybe pass block off play action or run block in wide zone schemes, he can do those things. He has that on tape, being able to handle getting his, his body around in the right angle. They, they, they would do that with him in that H-back spot. They would do a bunch of bubble screens and sort of put him into space blocking people. He's able to handle those roles. Uh, fine enough. and was actually a very effective player for him that they would look to get him involved in screen game because they knew they could you know, rely on him to make plays. As a receiver, loves to run up the seams from either slot, wing, or inline, has big plays up the seam, has nice 
catch-and-run ability, not a top-end guy who's going to run away from people like George Kittle, people he's being compared to there kind of crazily, in my opinion. But he is fast enough, and he does make plays in space. Between his junior and senior year, a big difference was his, uh, his ability to make plays and make people miss tackles and, uh, you know, turn guys, one guy grabbing him, couldn't get him to the ground, maybe gaining two or three extra yards. He showed that toughness you want to see. Also gained a lot of route diversity instead of more hitches and speed out targets. He got more corner routes, more deep outs, a little bit um, a little bit more diversity, bending seam routes, things like that um, that, that you, would, you would see more at an NFL level. Also very good off play action, can do the slide release to the flat, has nice film of drags over the top on boot action schemes. Soft hands. He did have eight drops uh, this past year. Some of them due to being, I think, a little new about going over the middle and catching from a wide position, catching some of those tougher throws over the middle. He'll get better at that, I think. I don't see an issue with how he catches the football. He doesn't trap it or anything crazy like that. So I don't see a long-term problem there for Bryant. But uh, you know, the eight drops is a bit concerning. You don't want to see it as a trend. The year, the three years prior, he only had three year three drops total. So it could just be a one-year outlier. But that is certainly something he has to clean up. Is consistently focusing on the football from a you know a wide variety of angles and a wide variety of target types that maybe he wasn't used to running those types of routes that kind of impacted him at the catch point. You want to see him clean that up at the NFL level. Um, you know, for, for Brian, I think it's just going to be about growing. As you know, in the NFL, it takes tight ends a while to get better. They got to get accustomed to the blocking bigger players, faster players. They got to get accustomed to running routes against faster, more physical players and also learning two phases. You're learning how to be a pass catcher. You're also learning how to block and be a functional part of a wide zone system. It takes time. I like that the Browns have two tight ends in front of him that will give him the chance to slowly work along and I think he can ultimately be a productive NFL player. If he is not going to be, it's because he never fixed the issue with inconsistent hands we saw his last year, and the blocking just never becomes something that he can truly handle to be a multiple position guy, such as an inline tight end. Um, if he can't handle that, they'll have to hide him in other places. If he can show the respectability as an inline tight end, consistently catch the football, which I think he will, then you have a really good prospect and the Browns got a really good tight end player for their future at pick 115. And that's kind of where I sit today. I would be surprised if Bryant does not become an effective tight end in the NFL and a guy that the Browns have around into a second contract. So I like that pick at 115 and think ultimately it will work out for Kevin Stefanski's offense if this offense is given the time it needs to grow over the course of several different years. So um, that's my three guys. We are going to jump over to our um, our guest and, and talk about a couple other prospects. But before we do, I want to talk to you guys about our sponsor. Before we get to our interview, I'm going to talk to you guys about Blue Chew, proud sponsor here of Blue Wire Podcast and the OBR Film Breakdown. Again, the big part of Blue Chew is the discreet packaging, the discreet way you can go about helping yourself out in the bedroom. If you need that help, look, it's okay. Everybody's going to go through that in life. You need to make sure you're handling your business correctly. Blue Chew is the company to help you out. Viagra, Cialis, the same big-time name brands are using the same ingredients. This comes in a chewable can take the thing on a full stomach. Listen, you, you don't have to go to the doctor's office. You can get a discreet online physician visitation free of cost. If you get approved, your order ships straight to your door, like I said, in discreet packaging, so nobody has to know. The deal for you guys is if you visit bluechew.com, get your first order free when you use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com using our promo code BLUEWIRE. BlueChew, BlueWire, great partnership. We appreciate them. Now, we're going to reel in this interview. We're going to talk about 
two film rooms that we have, one done, one going to be done on a couple of the Browns drafted players. So I want to get John Stephenson on the line here. We are going to talk about Jordan Elliott first, and we're going to talk about Jacob Phillips too. John, how are you, man? We're going to talk about Jordan Elliott first. I, I want to run right into this thing. Um, and just tell me, listen, tell me, tell me first off, A, I hope you're doing well. B, tell me your first impressions of Elliott. How's it going, Jake? So, um, yeah, Jordan Elliott, he, um, you know, that, uh, now that I've had a couple more days to think about the, uh, the pick, you know, since we talked, um, Thursday night slash Friday morning, however late that was, um, he's, he's grown on me a bit. Um, you know, we, uh, we released that film room, uh, Monday over at the OBR. And, uh, so I watched a total of, I believe it was about four and a half games. And then, uh, you know, I watched the highlight films on YouTube and, uh, um, watched a couple other games we didn't have with the wide and tight angles to see him against some better competition. And uh, there's definitely some things to like about him. Um, I see, I, I can see based on what, um, what Andrew Barry and uh, Fansky said, I'm just regarding, um, you know, his, uh, liking his quicks, his, um, you know, his feet is sort of the short area. Um, I see where they're coming from there. He's, uh, he's interesting there. Um, you know, there's, um, He's, he's a guy, you, you can see why, um, you, you can see certain, I guess, best way to put it, you can see why he, um, you know, why he's so highly thought of, you know, particularly as an interior lineman, but you also see why he's a guy that, you know, picked in the third round of the draft. Um, it, it's really all there. Well, that's my question is like, okay, you have this guy who pro football focus keeps as the 23rd highest player on their big board, right? He's graded out extremely well over a two-year period. If you guys don't know, if you have not had a chance to read this film room, please do so. Uh, Elliot had a, a sort of circoceous path to his arrival in, um, in, in, in Missouri, which where, where the hell is Missouri University? I don't even know. Anyway, so, so I guess I should know that. A friend of my, my wife works there. That's pretty bad on me. Nonetheless, I'll learn that. I'll get off the air and figure that whole thing yeah, out. Yeah, the geography but, test will be tomorrow. <laughs> so listen, he, he's a third-round pick, and it's like, to me, you got this guy, pro football focus, grades him highly, has one of the highest pass rushing marks across the entire NCAA Division One, and it's like, how the heck does a guy like this slip to the third round? You talked about some things he does well. Um on snaps, he has some really big pop plays. He's, he gets off the football. He can almost, you know, you and I have had private conversations, John, about the sort of long stemming your nose tackle and how silly that can be and how slow, mm -hmm. you know, it goes mm -hmm. from it goes from looping him all the way out and around. He almost is quick enough to be able to do those things when he's engaged. Like he can two gap and get and get, you know, from a C to an A pretty quickly and dip the shoulder and beat people. Like you posted a clip of him doing that exact thing. I think it was against Wyoming, right, where he did mm -hmm. that exact mm -hmm. thing. So those things pop, but like. Why is this guy available pick 88 when interior pass rushing is such a rarity? So if you're a scout, if you're a coach, and you're answering that question, what things about his film make you say, well, this is why he slipped? A couple things that jump out. He, um, you know, his, uh, his get off, not in terms of, um, you know, firing when the, when the ball snapped, just in, in terms of raw speed, but just his, his, his ability to be, as you talked about in uh, the film room you did, just being locked in and engaged every play, it just isn't there. He, um, oftentimes, he's, he's like the last guy to react. Um, and I, I don't exactly know where his eyes are or what's happening, you know, when he's down in his stance. But he doesn't, um, he doesn't fire off the ball at this snap consistently. He gets these late starts. And because he gets the late starts, he takes himself out of plays or he gets himself buried. You know, the, uh, the blockers get the second step down before he's gotten his first in and he's just, he's pushed right out of the play. It's, um, 
I'm, I'm guessing it's a concentration thing, but I promise you it drove his coaches uh, crazy at Missouri, and it's going to drive these guys crazy as well because it's, uh, it's just frustrating as hell. You just, you, you know, you're, you're giving up without a fight. You don't give yourself a chance there. So, um, you know, working on his, um, you know, his get off, just being focused in and moving. Um, you know, when, when he does, when he is locked in, um, he does have a nice uh, first step, you know, nice uh, first two steps. He has a, um, I'm going to say this, it's, it's, a, it's a good jump. It's a, bur- it's a good burst. Um, and he does well, you know, using his hands. So when it comes to the slant and the stem and so on, like we talked about, um, you know, the, the, there's some good reps there, um, several a game. Um, but it's just, it, it's inconsistent. Um, you know, like his get off, it's inconsistent. Sometimes when he's uh, moving, he turns his shoulders completely and he's just mm-hmm. almost kind of waddling, you know, parallel to the line of scrimmage down to the next spot. It just, it doesn't look good. It, uh, it doesn't look good at all. And it just, it never gets there. Um, I would say too, something you wrote about was his issue with double teams, right? It seems like he handles independent pressure. You know, if he, he's facing a three tech, he, yeah. he gets a guard or if he's in a shade, how he handles a center. It seems like he, he's able to pop. He's got powerful hands. He can pop you know, sort of shed, lock the yeah, arms yeah. out and shed and steer people. But talk to the people here about, like, you know, this is going to happen. Zone-based NFL run game is ridiculously popular right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what's his issue with double teams? Well, here's the thing. Um, you know, first, Missouri plays uh, a three-down and a four-down front. So when they're in their three-down stuff, they play what's called a tight front. This is the uh, defense that, uh, you know, Twitter coaches have been on for the last couple of seasons that started up at Iowa State. So – They'll play with a zero technique nose, so heads up over the center, and then they'll take their two D tackles and they'll put them directly in the B gap over the inside shoulder of the tackles. So you have, you know, a mic stack behind that nose tackle. They take the A gaps, and then your end slash D tackle. They take both the B gaps, and you have other edge guys. So um, he takes a lot of snaps where he's lined up in this four eye, and when that happens, he um. He, just, he gets pushed off by the, by the tackle a lot. He, uh, you know, he engages with the guard, and it's like he has he, – he's not reading the block. Um, I, I don't think that he, he really reads blocks. I think his eyes are just immediately into the backfield trying to find the ball rather than, you know, attacking the, the man in front of him, like trying to read is it a, is it yeah. a reach block on outside zone? Is it is, – am I being blocked down? Is it a base block? And, you know, that's going to affect your, um, your technique, what exactly you do and how you react to it. It's all based on the block type. So I think – he doesn't really he doesn't he doesn't really think about you know as he's attacking you know that block in front of him that you know maybe he needs to go ahead and anchor here and you know drop that inside leg and so on or whatever he's coached to do you know because something's you know something's been coming to um push him off the spot and he just it seems like it catches him by surprise every time it happens well you, i think that what you would say is this you know we we watched Larry Ogunjobi he was an, also a, a third round defensive tackle out of Charlotte um sort of have the same issues here, right? He had some snaps, and he has had, over the course of his three years here, some situations where he has truly popped. His rookie year, I think he went through a little bit of an injury issue, but I watched him in week two against Baltimore in 2017, just completely manhandle Marshall Yonda, which is rare, against Baltimore. Mm -hmm. His second year, if you remember the Saints game, where he completely embarrassed uh, the the Saints front, and had a couple sacks, and one even – I think he might have even had three, but one was called back. It's like these flashes are there for these guys, and it just feels like with defensive linemen, consistency is so challenging. And what, what drives – and like you said, John, what drives defensive line coaches mad is when you know you have that ability in a player, and it's really hard to get them to consistently show the technique 
show that the, uh, the drive, the passion, the burning desire to get off the football and play to the maximum ability of their, of their motor per se. Right. I think that's mm-hmm. what separates guys like, and I hate to lump these guys together, but it will be the case for all three between Andrew Billings Larry Ogunjobi and Jordan Elliott here is guys that have flashes but have been inconsistent in how they produce. Now, I'm, I'm lumping Jordan Elliott in here without having taken an NFL snap. I just sort of see the same things where you'll show a clip and it's like, man, that guy is dominant. He's huge. He can move. He can get off the football. And then you'll show a clip like the Kentucky clip and it's like, it's almost – it's like, is that the same yeah. player? You and I texted when we first started watching film of him. I had caught a couple snaps of him just out of sheer curiosity doing a couple of mock drafts leading up, and some people had been raving about him. So I'm like, I'm going to watch this guy. And uh, I turned it on against Vandy, I think, and I was like, man, is that the dude that they're talking about? Like, is he really wearing number one? Like, I, I, and I know you went through the same thing. It's just like – I. I get it. He, he has some plays that pop and he has some plays that just make you go, is that guy even care about what he's trying to do? So his consistency at the NFL level, and it's such a blanket statement in general, but it really is sort of the way the situation is with the entire interior of the Browns defensive line. They're led by Sheldon Richardson, who's been a beacon of inconsistency throughout his career. And then you have three other players who are going to try to find that consistency. It's a scary proposition. Um, all very talented. But it, that's what leads people like myself to say, we don't know who of any of these defensive linemen will be here in 2021. Because if, if they all disconnect or they all don't play as well as you'd hope they would, you might be looking at replugging that entire situation. So Jordan Elliott, listen, we put up the film room. John did fantastic stuff. I tried to piggyback on his thoughts in the YouTube channel. You can go there first and then click the article from there so you can see what we're doing for you at the OBR in terms of these film rooms. John laid it all out. He put what he does well. He showed you clips of the maddening inconsistency um, that, that is the reason, the only reason he is there at 88. And hopefully if his career is to be, you know, I think we talk about these prospects and we go through the film rooms and we talk, it's easy to just pump these guys up, man. Like these guys are going to be the, they're going to save the franchise. This 2020 cut. This is what it is with Elliot. And I'm, I've talked to you about, you know, the, the first three picks that I broke down in the film room is that, if these guys don't fix issues in their game, it, it could be a quick run, as it is with any player in the NFL. It's cutthroat league. If Elliott does not find a way to be consistent, get off the football quick, do his assignment against double teams, and um, take coaching, he will not have a successful career in the NFL. And that's just kind of what it boils down to. And John summarized it really well. You should click on that article. We're going to transition off Elliott now. We're going to talk Jacob Phillips. This is a pick that I think everybody was surprised by, John. I, I, mm-hmm. Listen, this is what I told people last year. I'm not afraid to admit it. I'm not the draft guru. I study it as much as I can. I have a son um, that, that, that limits me to studying some guys late at night when I get an opportunity. Last year they picked Sheldrick Redwine, and I had no clue. I had flat out no clue who that dude was. I was like, who is that guy? I have no I'll clue. be honest. I, I didn't either, Jake. <laughs> Listen, dude, and I'm telling either. you this year, I hate to admit it, I didn't know who Jacob Phillips was off the rip. I had no idea. Now, when they said number six for LSU, I was like, oh, okay. I've seen him when I was studying Grant Delpit. Um, But I'm not – like I said, I'm not Dane Brugler. I'm not these guys who go in and grind and pick Mm -hmm. apart every player. I'm not that dude. Ah, nor am I. Yeah, there's some guys I know that are late-round guys. Like I knew Nick Harris because he'd been mocked to Cleveland, and I've seen some of his stuff. I knew Donovan Peoples-Jones from obvious exposure in the state of Ohio against Michigan. But I was like, who the hell is Jacob Phillips? So – it caught everybody by surprise. They thought the pick might be Malik Hooker. We'll sort of run these two careers parallel to each other. You've watched some of him. You have not gotten the film room posted. We're kind of 
this is a long process in case you guys don't know. We take like five, six, seven, eight games that we are able to get our hands on on all 22, pick it apart, draw plays, and, and, and say, here's examples of what we think he does well. Here's examples of what he, we think he doesn't do well. And it takes a while. You got to write down time codes. And we got this whole process. We send them over and put them on the YouTube channel so they look professional. We're trying our best over here, okay? Yeah, so, scientific. Yeah, it's very scientific. It's, it's a process. It's, you can't rush this thing. We rushed the Jedrick Wills thing, and I stayed up until 6 a.m. the next day. So, you know, <laughs> I've been trying to recover hey, for worth, like a week. It was worth the read, though. <laughs> it, was, it was. He's good. So, um, listen, let's, let's talk a little bit about Phillips here. So, Pro Football Focus, who, who put out a great draft guide, which I, I like it because it's data-driven and a lot of eyes get on a lot of players. It's not the end-all, be-all. There are things that we disagree with when we talk about Pro Football Focus, but I think they do their data homework, and I appreciate them for it. Um, he was ranked 184 on their big board. They had him in a six-round projection. The Browns take him late in the third round. This is where people said, this guy might be a bit of a stretch. He might have been a guy you could have gotten later. Um, he had – uh, 60, 60, just above 60 overall grades for his first three years, 61, six, 62, eight, 65, six overall grades. Um, did not play much as true freshman year in 17, but then got 758 and 750. That's, that's wild to have 758 snaps his next two years, exactly the same number of snaps over the next two years. Um, 75 tackles his senior year, his junior year here. He's only 21. That's a theme with this Browns draft. They're drafting young guys. They want to develop them. Hopefully they get the fricking opportunity with one coaching staff to develop them. That's another discussion. 75 tackles, 17 assisted tackles, only five missed tackles for the year. Um, how people go about assigning missed tackles is kind of interesting. It can be subjective. Mm -hmm. it, can, it, it can be um, – and I talked about this with Grant Delpit earlier, is that not all missed tackles are created equal. Some mean way more right. than others, and some mean guys are getting to places other guys don't get to and all of that. But uh, from what I read, what I gather, what I've seen of him, he's a sure tackle. He's a assignment player of uh, – a player in the game he will do what he's asked to do i'm interested give me your initial thoughts on him john all right so um i've watched um i've watched alabama and i've watched the uh, national title game i've watched clemson i've watched a bit of uh, mississippi state so um initial thoughts he um yeah he, he looks like a sure tackler um but the, i guess the thing that that so far stands out the most to me is he isn't a guy that just that triggers downhill um, I don't know if Browns fans want to hear this, but right now he he reminds me of um, I guess all the all the Browns line all the Browns linebackers that uh, fans have been complaining about over the years that make the tackles four or five yards up past the line of scrimmage. He just doesn't he does unless he gets going unless he uh, you know he's on a blitz they have some kind of little loose stunt something like that going. He uh, he he doesn't process very well. It seems like he's just always slow to um, you know to get there, and he's just not a guy that you're going to see like trigger down and take on a. Uh, take on a guard on the hole, you know, with the correct shoulder. He doesn't um, – he just he just doesn't seem to have that in him so far. Now, granted, it's through uh, two games. So – but um, that's, that's definitely a trend so far. Um, you know, he does make tackles. He makes the tackles that he's supposed to make. But he doesn't um, – so far, at least, I'm not seeing him make those, those wild tackles. Um, you know, when you see him playing next to um, number eight, uh, brain fart. Patrick McQueen. Patrick Queen. Yep. Yeah, next to Patrick Queen. I mean, you, you see the difference between the two. Like when when Queen sees it, he's just pop, and he's right downhill, and he's, you know, he's he's jacking guards on the hole. Um, there's you, you can really see the difference there. Um, he moves pretty well, uh, sideline to sideline, from what I've seen. I know that um, that's something that Andrew Barry and company mentioned as far as um, like in his ability to um, sort of range and make plays. Um, you know, he hustles hard. Um, you know, he'll chase things down from one side of the field to the next. Um, he, um, 
he doesn't seem especially physical with uh, a lot of his tackles. It almost seems like um, some like at times because he's not getting, you know, he's not getting downhill initially. It's like he's taking contact rather than initiating it rather than making mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, um, Travis, uh, I'm going to jack up his last name here. Uh, Clemson running back, real physical runner. Oh, yeah, et- yeah et- Etienne. I, yep. I still can't say his name. Yeah, oh. Etienne. Um, I, you know, I, I probably mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll go with yours because it sounded better. But either way, he, um, you know, the couple of times in that game where, you know, he's, um, you know, Phillips has taken the worst of that there. Um, sorry, Which, you know, to me, no, 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 you're, you're fine. Like, to me, um, you know, when I, when I see what his testing tells a very clear picture for me, he, he was a four, six, six, 40 guy, which is 76 percentile. It's good enough. It's good enough to play in the NFL. Um, where he's especially interesting is a 39 inch vertical, which is 94th percentile and a 10, six broad, which is 94 percentile there too. And where he struggles is three code change of direction thing, seven, three, eight, 26 percentile. And, um, that's indicative to me of a guy who struggles to change direction, a 56 percentile shuttle guy too, 20 yard short shot or whatever. So to me, he is a guy who, when he goes somewhere, he bursts out of his stance quick. He gets going when he knows where to go. Like you said, he does not process as cleanly and as quickly as you would hope. And I think that will not be something Browns fans love to hear. Like you said about guys who tackle beyond the line of scrimmage, you would like people to read, react, boom. That's what I loved about Kenneth Murray at Oklahoma. Um, mm-hmm. Guys who get downhill and play very quick. He is not going to necessarily be there. Now, could they alter his game and eliminate the thinking? Could, could some things change? Sure. Ultimately, yes, they could. But um, he's not going to, if you watch the film, he's not going to pop off the tape in that regard. But he is able to cover sideline to sideline, run where he needs to run. It's the change of direction, things that get him in trouble. Not a very good zone defender. He, he was more of yeah. like a, I would almost call him like a glorified placeholder in coverage. He did not make many read and react judgmental type of plays from what I've seen. I will break down That's more. Nice. He doesn't yeah. read routes very well. He doesn't anticipate like something's coming in and something's coming out. Something's building high and something's coming low. He just doesn't, he doesn't feel them. Doesn't yeah, feel no, them. I'm with you. I'm with you. And here, here's where my thought process is on this. I think every linebacker that the Browns were very interested in was gone. I think that they had a, a list of guys that they liked. Logan Wilson was gone. Um, mm. among, among a few others were gone pretty quickly in that third round. And they're like, okay, let's move back and let's try to get somebody like Jacob Phillips, who we know is young, who we know is moldable, um, who could come along and grow with the game as the cerebral part matches some of the explosion that he has as an athlete. They said, let's pick a guy who we think his basement is here at the minimum, could could be a two-down linebacker in the NFL, is mm-hmm. athletic enough to do it, and then we'll see if we can mold more out of him at a young 21 years of age, and uh, they'll go from there. I, I think that that is, that is really where their board set up. They did not have very many highly rated linebackers, and those guys left before they could get to them at 74. And they were not going to move up for anybody, especially a position like linebacker. So we are not trying to say Jacob Phillips can't play. I think he has a role that he can play in this defense. He will probably compete. Um, I think I've read that he will compete at will with Sione Takitaki. Mm-hmm. Those two are both very raw in terms of their um, experience, uh, in terms of their uh, you know recognition and, and play speed skills. So we will have to see how that shakes out. He has – like I said, he's a sure tackler. I really do think he can, when he gets his arms on people, he might not drive them back all the time. It might result in a little bit of a drag down situation where a guy may get a yard or two, but he gets people to the ground. And that does mean something when you've seen the ridiculous missed tackle numbers that you've seen from the Browns over the past two years, some NFL record setting type of stuff. Um, 
you know, and, and, and I think it's also, he's a long limbed guy who if put in the right positions has the ability with his frame and his, his speed to get where he can make a play on the football and his balance, I think is relatively strong too. And, and I don't see him really getting shifty broke out of too many tackles in general, where he arrives at the ball and somebody puts their foot in the ground, maybe one, two plants him and he gets, he whiffs. I don't see much of that. So just temper your expectations a little bit. I just, I don't, I don't think Mm -hmm. he's going to be a phenomenal football player in the NFL, but if he is a steady linebacker for them, who they feel like can grow into being a three down linebacker is not thrust onto the field too soon. um, It could work. I do think the Browns need to expand their linebacker room with a veteran. I hope they have that Mm -hmm. plan in place, but um, look for John's film room. He's going to have some stuff posted on, on Jacob Phillips soon. It'll have all the clips you could possibly want. He'll break down his thoughts and what we're talking about here as we always do. Make sure you're, you're joining um, the OBR and, 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 and really this stuff makes it worth it, but there's also rumor central. There's also ask the insiders where you can get so many of your questions answered and really have good football discourse. I hope you guys are doing that. I appreciate John coming on and, uh, and, and passing out his insights and uh, that's always important. John, thanks again, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me again. Yeah, no, this is important. Uh, We have more coming, right? We have, uh, we still have two more players to get to offensively. Nick Harris will Mm -hmm. get posted over the next week. We have Donovan Peoples-Jones will get a post over the next week. We're going to take a look at A.J. Green from Oklahoma State, who was an undrafted free agent who the Browns put a lot of investment in. That's got to be a first right there. Doing a a film breakdown on an undrafted free agent. Yeah, some people had him inside their top 200, so they think he has a real shot. And the Browns invested a lot in him to the point that you think they're going to give him I think you're going to give him a real shot at the roster. So it should be fun. Yeah, Um, for sure. Well, thanks for joining us guys. It's been a lot of fun here. We're going to keep breaking down these guys. Maybe have John on again in a week or two when we can really break down AJ green and then talk these back end of the, of the draft and UDFA guys and see where those things shake out. Uh, A lot of insight on these players. We, we discussed earlier, pretty much everybody will be covered within the next two weeks from the OBR from a film breakdown standpoint, and you can learn a lot from them. And I hope you're joining us. I hope you're, you're subscribing to not only this podcast, the breakdown home breakdown podcast, but also the daily newswire pod that we post as well with a lot of great guests that show up on there. Thanks again to our sponsors, uh, betonline.ag and blue chew. We appreciate them. We appreciate you guys have a great weekend and go Browns. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.